0: This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Casper, a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Get $50 off any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com fool and using promo code fool at checkout. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Monday, December 4th, and we're doing a deep dive on Bofi holding ticker symbol B O F I. I'm your host, Michael Douglas, and I'm joined by Matt Frankel. Matt, welcome back.
1: It's always good to be here.
0: Fantastic. Okay, so we've been talking a lot about the news and a lot about personal finance and a lot about you know, things like the Fed chair and tax plans and all this kind of stuff, we figured that this time we'd go ahead and do a hard pivot back to stocks or specifically one stock. In this case, it is the only bank stock that I actually personally own in my portfolio. So a month or so ago I referenced an article by On Chackville on how to analyze bank stocks and I said then that I use Ons framework whenever I'm analyzing a bank stock and that I view it as kind of my banking Bible and well frankly that's true. If you want to follow along using his article, just drop me a note at industryfocus at full.com. I'm happy to send along that article because what we're going to do is kind of a three part thing. We're going to first run Bofi through that framework, Anand's framework. Then we're going to step back and talk a little bit about sort of history and now, and then sort of pivot to talking about the future. So think of this as a three part episode. So with that in mind, let's talk through Anand's framework. The first part of that. Is he asks the question, what does the bank actually do? Now, first off, generally speaking, banks work off the same underlying business model. They borrow money at one rate, they lend it out at another higher rate, and they pocket the difference, also known as arbitrage. So let's start with the higher rate, that is loans. So, how does the bank lend money, Matt?
1: Sure. Oh, um, they've historically been a mortgage lender. They focus mainly on jumbo loans, which are Loans that are too much to qualify to be purchased by Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. I believe the cap's about 417,000 right now. Mm-hmm. So these are the are big mortgages, mostly focused in high cost states. California is one. Um, about mm, little over half, 54% of their portfolio comes from these kind of loans, and they also have multifamily loans, which are generally defined as buildings with two to four residences in them. Think like small apartment buildings, duplexes, triplexes, things like that. Um, About 18% comes from commercial and industrial loans, which are business loans. And then they have some other types of loans in their portfolio that make up the rest of the other 7%. So primarily a mortgage lender, small portion of business loans, and that's about it for right now.
0: Right. And again, on its framework is very good for talking about a snapshot in time, what happened in the most recent quarter. It struggles a little bit more with the historical perspective, which is why we'll kind of turn to that. But the other thing to keep in mind is that Bofi has about $8.6 billion in assets, about $7.5 billion of which are loans and leases net of losses. So that's 88% of their assets are loans. So thinking about this from a general banking perspective, the higher the percentage of assets that are loans, the more traditional the bank is. So, Bofi, by this measure, is a very traditional bank at 88% of um, assets represented by loans. Consider, for example, Bank of America, which has roughly 40% of its assets as loans and leases, just to kind of give you a flavor of what this looks like. Now, of course, Bank of America and Bofi are incredibly different companies, but they're both at their core, banks. And so, that's why you can kind of see that that big difference. Okay, so that's talking about how the bank lends money. Let's flip over to how the bank takes in money, aka deposits.
1: Sure. And um, speaking of what makes something more of a traditional bank, if most of their liabilities are deposits, is another measure of how traditional they are. Um, Bofi takes in mostly low-cost deposits. I say low-cost kind of loosely because they pay more than most traditional banks, which we'll get into a little bit later. But most of the way they take in money are consumer deposits. They used to be mostly CD oriented Over the past three or four years, they've switched to being a more traditional savings and checking account-oriented bank, um, which now make up the majority of their deposits. But the simple answer is, the bank takes in money by Enticing consumers to deposit money with
0: them, and it's interesting because deposits are viewed as a liability. Which, sort of, if you aren't familiar with banking, that sounds kind of strange. But the reality is that that's money that the bank is going is getting for some period of time, be it brief or long, and they're going to have to give that back. And so that's why it's a liability. And as you pointed out, Matt, it's usually very low or no interest rate. So it's a very cheap way for the bank to get cash to fund loans and therefore make that money that arbitrage. If a bank can't attract deposits, it actually has to usually take on either debt or sell stock, both of which can really hurt shareholders done at scale. So the two ratios to look at for this are deposits over liabilities and deposits over loans. So the deposits over liabilities ratio is ninety three percent, which means that almost all of bank uh, of fees. Liabilities are these low cost deposits. And the deposit to loan ratio is 96%, meaning that they are almost entirely funding their loans through deposits. And uh, awesome, that means they're pocketing lots of juicy income. So the third component of this then is okay, so what money are they actually making and how are they making it? Put a different way, you want to look again at that delta between what they're paying out for deposits. And as you noted, Matt, Bofi's deposits are primarily interest bearing, and so they are paying out money for them, and then what they're getting from loans. That is encapsulated in net interest income. Then, of course, there's also non-interest income, which you know is whatever else, whatever other money they're able to pocket. So net interest income for the most recent quarter was 79 point six million dollars. and non-interest income was 13.3 million. So they generate almost all their income from loans, with the non-interest income primarily coming from mortgage banking, income and banking service fees. Okay, so that was the first part of ondit's framework the others go a little bit faster. Let's turn to part two. How expensive is the bank? And There are a couple different ways to look at this.
1: Sure. My favorite way is using the price-to-tangible-book value metric. This basically tells you how expensive a bank is in relation to how much how many assets are on its balance sheet. Um, Bofi's is currently 2.1 times tangible book value. This is relatively expensive in terms of banking. But to put it in perspective, it's the exact same as JP Morgan's right now, uh, just slightly above Wells Fargo, and not even that far above Bank of America. So, Bofi is not an expensive bank stock by any stretch. U.S. Bancorp, for example, is well above Bofi's valuation. Um, The other way you can look at it is just in a more traditional terms of the P-E ratio. For Bofi, is actually about 12, which is very low, especially compared to the S&P right now. That's about half of the S&P right now. Um, from the last twelve months, so don't think just because this is a kind of high tech, fast growing bank stock that this is going to be priced outrageously. It's really not.
0: And sort of hopping forward into the historical perspective a little bit, it is, it has been priced pretty, at, at least as banking people we would call, pretty outrageously uh, at times in the past. And there are some reasons the valuation has come down, which we'll come to later in the show. So. Let's turn to part three then. I promise that they go a little bit faster, and they are. What is the bank's earnings power? Okay, so Bofe's price-to- tangible book value ratio is high-ish, let's say, and its price-to- earnings ratio is very low, which sounds a little bit weird. Return on equity or ROE bridges that gap, and Bofi's is very good. It's seventeen point four percent over the trailing twelve months, so that highlights their ability to turn equity into earnings. For background, an ROE over ten. In banks is usually considered pretty good. So 17.4% is stellar.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, Usually 10 is considered to be the industry benchmark on that. Um, But then another thing to look at is the net interest margin, which is kind of a fancier way of saying the spread between the rate the bank is loaning money at and how much it's paying out on deposits. Uh, Bofies is about 3.77% right now, which is. About a full percentage point ahead of most of the rest of the banking industry, thanks to its kind of cost advantages, which we'll also get into in a second.
0: Right. Well, and I was just going to say the the cost advantage is really key here because Bofi is paying out on a lot of its deposits. And if you consider the fact that chances are good, whatever bank you bank with doesn't pay an interest rate on your checking account and their savings account, they're paying you very little as well. Bofi generally is paying more, and that's because, in part, they can afford to, um, and so that they can attract really high-quality deposits. And that's in part, as you noted, Matt, because of their low-cost structure. So, the efficiency ratio is really critical here. This ratio includes all the non-interest expenses, so that's real estate costs, marketing expense, salaries, etc., and divides them into revenue, so lower is better. Last quarter's efficiency ratio was 40.49%, which is fantastic. Anything below 50% is considered great. Bofi's peer group, that is all savings banks with assets greater than a billion dollars, had an efficiency ratio on average of 63% by comparison. So that really highlights the value of their online-only model, and the fact that they don't have physical branches that you can go to. Okay, so part four what risk is the bank taking on to achieve those earnings? Frankly, all the rest of this is perfectly fine, <laughs> but if the bank is taking on a great deal of risk to achieve what are really some pretty good numbers, then big problems are going to happen when the credit cycle turns. And the short answer here is, surprisingly little. The long answer of course, requires a few numbers. So one of the key things that we like to look at is assets over equity. So this basically helps us see how highly leveraged the bank is. So a bigger number is bad because they're taking on a bunch of risk. A really small number can also be bad because it might be a sign that the bank isn't being sufficiently aggressive. Bofi's is right at ten, which means that the bank is th- theoretically about properly extended.
1: Sure. And um, another thing to look at is the percentage of non-performing assets, which. Is a little about 04 percent of the loan portfolio right now. That means people, uh, people who are you know delinquent on their mortgage, uh, businesses who haven't paid their loan in a couple months, things like that. <laughs> However, in Bofi's case, their lifetime losses on mortgages are, I think, three basis less than three basis points, which is point zero three percent. So that means that they're doing a great job of getting non-performing loans back to performing. End of evaluating credit risk in the first place. I mentioned earlier that these are their portfolio is primarily jumbo mortgages, which by definition, because they they they're not eligible to be purchased by Freddie Fre, Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, they are generally held to higher underwriting standards, meaning more than 20% down, high credit scores. So these, by definition, are lower risk loans before anything company specific um, and the uh, multifamily portfolio is even more impressive. the lifetime losses with that are less than one basis point, which is less than point zero one percent or virtually nothing. so so this is just the idea that they must be taking a lot of risk to achieve these returns is a faulty logic.
0: Yeah. well, and one of the other things that really jumped out uh, this is a quote from um, Bofi's CEO in their most recent Quarter, he said, and I quote, we have not experienced losses in our CNI lending group since inception of the group. Think about that for a minute. How many bank CEOs can actually say that there is a part of their portfolio that is, let's say, more than three years old, where they haven't experienced any actual losses? It's incredible. The other thing to keep in mind. Is that even if a lender is appropriately conservative, one of the things that they can do to kind of game the system is decide how they're going to cover the non-performing loans. So at a certain point, a lender has to write off the loan, right, and basically say, "Okay, we know we're not going to get this amount of money back."
1: Sure, um, banks put money in reserve to cover that, and Bofe's has a hundred thirty over a hundred thirty percent of their non-performing loans already covered in reserves, meaning that if all of those had to be written off, the reserves they already have in place would more than take care of it.
0: Right. Which is usually a sign, again, of a lender that is behaving appropriately conservatively. Okay, so that's the today snapshot. We're going to talk through what this all means, provide some historical perspective and things to look for going forward, but first let's hear from our sponsor. This episode of Motley Fool Industry Focus is brought to you by Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Casper's breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulate your body temperature through the night. They're not just a mattress company. They offer a wide array of products to ensure an overall better sleep experience. And their mattresses are made in the U.S. Buying the Casper is easy. You order online, it's delivered to your door in a compact box, and there's free shipping and free returns to the U.S. and Canada. I have a few friends who have Casper mattresses, and they rave about them, and so it's, it's really been a positive experience for them. Considering we spend one-third of our lives on a mattress, it's pretty darn important to truly sleep on a mattress before committing. That's why Casper gives you 100 nights to try it out. Start sleeping ahead of the curve with Casper. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com fool and using promo code FOOL at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. That's, again, $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com fool and using promo code FOOL at checkout. OK, so back to Bofi. Let's talk historical perspective and background here a little bit. So, as you noted earlier, Matt, Bofi is historically a residential lender, both single-family and multi-family. They really only started in business banking in 2011, and then CNI lending in 2013. They're in the process of spinning up a consumer auto business now, which we'll talk a bit more on sort of the going forward part of the episode. One thing that I want to highlight, though, is that they've done a really good job of continuing to diversify their growth into new areas, and that's one of the things that Anand's Framework doesn't always give you is kind of that historical perspective. So that's why it's important to kind of start with those questions and then. Sort of expand into other broader ones that kind of get highlighted as you're researching those initial ones. Let's also talk about HR Block because this is something that doesn't really pop up in Onn's framework but is a really interesting and important part of Bofi's business.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, HR Block and Bofi last year uh, for the 2017 tax year entered into a partnership where Bofi would start to provide refund anticipation loans. For HR Blocks customers. You've seen the signs in the windows of the tax offices, get your refund now, things like that. Uh, for 2018, they've expanded the relationship where Bofi is the exclusive provider of HR Blocks refund advanced loans, they're called. Um, and the thing to know is Bofi doesn't make much money on this. They're interest free loans, they charge no finance fees. The kind of idea here is that this opens up kind of Well, one, a diversification, and two, kind of cross-selling opportunities, to you know recruit more Bofi customers, hopefully out of H and R Block's customers.
0: Yeah, so it's a very interesting and frankly different model, and it's one that Bofi has so far leveraged pretty successfully. But of course, we'll kind of have to see how it pans out from here. Another thing that I want to highlight is the deposits side of things. So Matt, you referenced this earlier, but I just wanted to put some some numbers to it. So Bofi used to be um, primarily time deposit-based, so things like a CD, about 50% of their deposits as of June 30th, 2013 were, th- were time deposits, so things like CDs and they had $2.1 billion in deposits at the time. Fast forward to the most recent quarter, they have $7.2 billion in deposits, so more than three times. And time deposits only make up 12% of their deposits, with checking and other and immediate demand accounts at 53%, savings accounts at 31%, and IRAs at 4%. So, that's really incredible growth. And they've really been able to achieve that by offering attractive uh, basically, an attractive cost structure for consumers, so that people can get you know high yield, higher higher yield savings accounts and things like that. So that has enabled that growth and diversification in loans that we were just talking about. Another thing that I want to highlight is um, you know a few episodes ago we talked about credit cycles and how they inevitably turn, and non performing loans frankly are going to look good today. Like that's just part of the deal, right? Bofies are at zero point four percent. Everyone's look good right now because, frankly, the economy is more or less humming along. But the question, of course, is what happens when the tide goes out?
1: When the recess- when recessions hit, banks have higher non-performing loans. People have a tougher time covering their bills, and this kind of trickles into the banks' balance sheets. Um, just to kind of give you some perspective. Some banks were approaching double digits back in the 08, 09, 2010 timeframe. Um, Bank of America's their credit card portfolio was over 10%, I believe, at its peak. Uh, both of you only got to about 1.5% of its total loans at the end of 2010 were non-performing, not even char- uh, charge-offs. So, this is an amazingly low ratio, considering what was going on at the time. Um, and. Will another 2008-2009 style housing crisis happen? Probably not to that extent, but if it does, BofI should be well covered.
0: Certainly, if their historical credit lending standards continue to hold true. Finally, it's worth noting, and um, we sort of foreshadowed that this was coming a little bit. There's a reason that BofI got cheaper <laughs> over the last few years, and that's in part been in large part been because of some allegations against the company.
1: Yeah. uh, Without going into too much detail about this, basically, there were some accusations involving money laundering uh, through the bank's channels. Um, A New York Post story, I believe it was, ran a story claiming this. The bank has repeatedly denied it. No wrongdoing really has ever been found. But there is still a high percentage of the shares that have been sold short, which is kind of the reason why Bofi's not trading As as high of a valuation as it was, you know, a year a couple of years ago.
0: Right. So that's just something to keep in mind. Again, nothing's been proven in the allegations. I am a shareholder and a a very happy one, but that doesn't mean that you know there there may still be more to the story that we don't know everything about. So that's just uh, your usual kind of standard cautionary commentary there. Okay. So let's talk about moving forward with the bank briefly. We've only got a few minutes left. But the bank has a number of opportunities it's trying to execute on right now. You know, we mentioned auto lending; they're also getting into the personal loan game. Um, So, you know, you've probably seen Marcus by Goldman Sachs ads on Facebook, or at least I have. So they are certainly pushing into that, and that's all kind of um, when when you think about all of kind of what they're doing. To some extent, it feeds into this universal digital initiative that they're working toward.
1: Yeah, this is kind of their initiative where they want to be like, you know, a one-stop digital bank for anybody's banking needs. They want to make the most user-friendly interface among digital banks, uh, offer any lending in the product, deposit product you could ever want, and be more open to third-party partnerships like the H and R Block partnership I mentioned earlier.
0: Yeah, and so that means that, amongst other things, they're doing a lot of investment in tech right now. Um, Actually, that 40 and some change percent efficiency ratio we talked about is higher than it's been historically, in part because they are making so many of those investments right now. Of course, they still have an enormous cost advantage. Two other things going forward that are worth highlighting. The first one is interest rates. So, The Fed has increased interest rates by 0.75 percentage points in the last year. Bofi has only increased their average interest rate checking and savings deposits. Rates by 0.29 percentage points. So that difference is an arbitrage advantage. And that's one of the reasons why, when we talk about rising interest rates benefiting banks, this is why. (laughs) It's things like this. The banks are able to raise how much they are paying out for deposits and savings accounts at a lower rate than the Fed is increasing overall interest rates, which then enables them to kind of pocket the difference.
1: Yeah, it's also worth pointing out that that point two that point two nine percentage points, that's actually more than most banks have increased in the same amount of time. Uh, my Wells Fargo savings account pays still pays out something like point zero two percent or something like that. Right. So this is it's it sounds like the bank might is being a little greedy by getting a three quarters of a percent more on their deposits or on their on their loans, but only paying out less than half of that in additional interest on deposits, but it's really a lot more generous than the industry standard, and Bofi's rates were a lot higher to begin with, too, so this just makes some of the more appealing interest rates in banking look even more so.
0: Yes, and this for me highlights the really key thing to think about with Bofi, and it's really the primary reason that I'm a shareholder, which is this inherent advantage, which is its low-cost structure. So, low-cost structure is everything, in my mind, if management is good. Because that means you're going to be able to continue attracting deposits, and um, at, because you're able to pay out more for them. right? You're also, on the flip side, on, on the loan side, you're able to get really the most credit-worthy folks with really high FICO scores, because you're able to offer them a slightly lower loan rate than anybody else. And you're able to do that on both ends because your non-interest expenses, so things like, in this case, really physical plant, um, are so much lower than everybody else's, um, such that you are able to kind of take those hits on both sides of the loan slash deposit part of the business, but still maintain profitability and core conservative underwriting standards because you don't need to chase yield because. You know, if your if your cost is lower than everybody else's, then you can kind of give more back on both sides to attract really the best consumers. And you know, for me, this is a huge advantage that Bofi has. And again, it's, it's why it's the only bank that I personally own. So, folks, that's it for this week's financial show. Questions? Comments? You can always reach us at at fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Matt Frankel, I'm Michael Douglas. Thanks for listening, and Fool on!